Hear the word of the Lord to us from Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. Well, good morning on this glorious Easter morning. I want to begin by introducing you to a great World War II hero that you've probably never heard of. His name was Witold Pileski. He was a Polish officer when Nazi Germany invaded in September 1939. He became a leader in the Polish underground movement. Many Polish people were being arrested and were being sent to Auschwitz, the prison camp. So Witold Pileski came up with a bold plan that they would send somebody from the underground, allow them to get arrested and send them into Auschwitz so they could find out what's going on there and organize the people and figure out a way to get them free from their imprisonment. He volunteered for the job. So on September 19, 1940, he joined a protest that he knew he would get arrested. He was arrested, and two days later, he was sent to Auschwitz. Became a prisoner in this concentration camp. When he saw what was actually going on in that camp, he was appalled. He realized this was not just a prison camp. This was a death camp that thousands and thousands, tens upon thousands were being gassed, mostly Jews, but many others, and were being exterminated. So as he tried to figure out how to help his people in that camp as a fellow prisoner, He wrote a report called the Pileski Report, a hundred-page report that he smuggled out to his Polish underground so that the Allies would know the horrible things going on in Auschwitz. And then he organized those who were prisoners as well as he could, hoping that when the Allies figured out what was going on, they would bomb the Nazi soldiers at the camp and give them all a chance to escape. So what happened to the Pileski report? Well, it was smuggled out by the Polish underground. It was given to the British 
in London. And they read the report and they said, this cannot be. The Nazis cannot be that awful. There cannot be that terrible evil going on in Auschwitz. So they buried the report on an officer's desk. In the meantime, over a million people were put to death at Auschwitz, gassed, and then cremated. Vitol Pileski himself managed to be one of the very few people who actually escaped from Auschwitz after two and a half years. But unfortunately, in that camp, he still, the deaths went on, and, and he still couldn't convince people of what was going on. It wasn't until January of 1945, when the camp was liberated, that the few remaining prisoners were able to be set free. Why did Vitold Pileski willingly become a prisoner at Auschwitz? Well, it's because he loved his people. He wanted to find a way to rescue them from the horrors of what they were facing, but unfortunately, he failed. But in a similar way, <laughs> Jesus looked at humanity, at the terrible situation we were in, in our separation from God, the people he created and that he loved. He saw us imprisoned in sin and death and came up with a bold and risky and dangerous plan <laughs> that he himself would enter our world so he could rescue us. But unlike Vitold, Jesus was successful. How was he successful? Well, when he entered our world, he chose to die as a common criminal on the cross to take our sins on himself so that we would not have to suffer that punishment. And then he rose again from the grave, conquering death and sin forever. And so all we need to do to be set free is believe. Romans 10 puts it quite well. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. As Paul writes this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation or rescue. But this kind of leaves us with a question because we need to realize if we're going to understand this rescue that Jesus did, we need to understand what we have been rescued from. This world is an Auschwitz, or is it? <laughs> Today, as we look at Ephesians 2, I think we'll see what we've been rescued from and what we have been rescued to. So let's pray before we look together at this text. Lord, on this glorious Easter day, as we celebrate your resurrection, we need to understand more fully what you have saved us from and what you have saved us to. So that we can more fully live as your rescued people and join in if we have not yet chosen to let you rescue us. So today, may your word be clear. May your spirit open our eyes to the glory of of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First three verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians that was just read to you lays out for us, Paul, in a very clear way, what life was like without Christ, what life is like without Christ. Three words that I want to highlight 
that describe, I think, what Paul is saying. The first word is dead. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says, unbelievers, those who don't know Christ are dead. What does Paul mean here? People all around us who don't know God are walking and breathing, working and playing. How are they dead? What does that mean? I like the way John Stott puts it. He says this. The biblical statement here about deadness of non-Christian people raises problems for many because it does not seem to square with the facts of everyday experience. Lots of people who make no Christian profession whatever, who even openly repudiate Jesus Christ, appear to be very much alive. One has a vigorous body of an athlete, another the lively mind of a scholar, a third the vivacious personality of a film star. Are we to say that such people, if Christ has not saved them, are dead? Yes, indeed, we must and do say this very thing. For in the sphere which matters supremely, which is neither the body nor the mind nor the personality, but the soul, they have no life. And you can tell it. They're blind to the glory of Jesus Christ and deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no love for God, no sensitive awareness of his personal reality, no leaping of their spirits toward him in the cry, Abba, Father, no longing for fellowship with his people. They are as unresponsive to him as a corpse. Another picture of this, an illustration of this, I think, is my granddaughter has been given by my son and his wife, a phone, a smartphone. And that phone has an alarm. She uses it to wake up in the morning. She can play games on it, but they have not hooked it up to either Wi-Fi or a phone server. So for all intents and purposes, that phone cannot function as it was made to function, as it was designed to function. Does it work? Yes. But a phone is made to communicate with others and to connect to the Internet. And if it can't do that, then in all intents and purposes, it is dead to what it was created for. In a similar way, as someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, we were all created for relationship with God. And we are only whole and complete and made to connect with him and be in relationship with him. And therefore, we may be walking around and breathing. But if we're not connected to him, then we are, for all intents and purposes, dead to our original design and purpose. So Paul says, first of all, that those who do not know Jesus are dead. The second word that I want to highlight, he doesn't use this word, but it summarizes what he says is enslaved. Enslaved. He says we are enslaved and we walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We also all lived in the lusts of our flesh. She says the world system around us, Satan, our own selfish desires, we are enslaved people apart from God. We are not free to act independently. We are forced to follow the lead of these things, to think what the world thinks, to act according to our own desires and the spiritual forces around us. We think we're free. We feel free at times. Mankind thinks he's free, but he's not. Think of a prisoner in Auschwitz, someone perhaps who might have been born into a prison camp like that. 
and all they know is the camp. Now, they might say, I have freedom. You know, I can walk around the yard. I can choose to eat or not eat. There are certain things I can do. I have some freedom. You might imagine that you have freedom. And you might every once in a while look out through the fence and see a whole other world. But, but you can't go there. You can't experience that. So to you, you don't really know anything about it. So you think you have freedom, but actually you are under the control of your Nazi guards and cannot do anything except what is dictated to you ultimately. That's what Paul is saying about a person apart from Christ. We do not have freedom, no matter how hard we work up our will, no matter how hard we choose, we cannot choose our own way. We are not free apart from Christ. I want to read you the words of a man who may be one of the most disciplined people in this world. Very disciplined as he was facing cancer one day, facing his possible death. And he was contemplating, I wonder if I'll get to heaven, if I should die from this cancer. Here's what he wrote. Quite simply, I believed I had a responsibility to be a good person. And that meant fair, honest, hardworking and honorable. If I did that, if I was good to my family, true to my friends, If I gave back to my community or to some cause, if I wasn't a liar, a cheat, or a thief, then I believed I should be good enough. At the end of the day, I hoped I would be judged by whether I'd lived a true life, not whether I believed in some book. This person who committed himself to be a good person, to do what was right, to not be a liar, a cheat, or a thief... Who is this disciplined person? Lance Armstrong, who we find out later (laughs) was a liar and a cheat. That he was doping, blood doping. He had his Tour de France titles taken away because he was a cheater. He said, if I'm good to my family, then maybe I'll make it to heaven. How was he good to his family? Well, he is now divorced. He's had two children out of wedlock. He's had numerous failed relationships. Here is one of the most disciplined people on earth, and yet he could not do what he'd committed to do. He made a mess of his life. And if Lance Armstrong makes a mess of his life, then, of course, all of us are sure making a mess of our lives on our own, aren't we? We can't pull it off. We cannot do enough to make life work. Why? Because, as Paul says, we're enslaved. The third word that summarizes what Paul says here is condemned. He says we are by nature children of wrath, condemned to God's wrath. What does that mean? Is God angry at us? No, but what it means is this. God's wrath is this. If his wrath is neither an arbitrary reaction like a human reaction nor an impersonal, distant process, what is it? It is God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil. His settled refusal to compromise with it and his resolve instead to condemn it. Further, his wrath is not incompatible with his love. God's a holy God. He's pure. He's righteous. And therefore, 
He cannot be with evil, and so he has a hostility to evil at all times. But because we have rejected God, every human is born in hostility to God. Think about those in Auschwitz again. In the prison camp, there's no hope for them. And the end of every person there, as long as the camp continues, is eventually to die there, condemned. And Paul says every human being is in that position of being condemned apart from God. So this is an awful picture of life without God. Paul means for it to shock us. Paul says we were all this way. Every human being who's born into the world at one time. And if you have not given your life to Christ, you are still in this position. But the good news is that Jesus invaded the death camp, chose to become a prisoner, chose to die the worst kind of death on a cross for our sake to rescue us so that we could have new life, so we'd have an opportunity to walk out of that camp. And how do we get free? Simply by believing in his death and resurrection. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we believe in what Jesus did for us, we walk out of that camp into a new life. And what is this new life? What is this new life? Well, he goes on to tell us in these next few verses. But I want to begin by saying this. What did Vitol Pileski do? And why did he go to Auschwitz? Again, because he loved his people and he wanted to rescue them. Why did Jesus enter our world, this death camp, and die a horrible death in our place? Paul says this, but God... Two of the greatest words in the Bible, in our mess, in our lostness, in our condemnation, but God, but God acted, but God stepped in, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Verse seven, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Is God angry at someone who doesn't know him? No, no. He has an incredible, great love for you. Such a love, he says, such an awesome, great, powerful love and grace. And he wants to give you kindness for eternity that he was willing to enter our world and experience the fullness of the condemnation of God himself and what our world could offer him to liberate us from our lostness. What an incredible love we have from God. How foolish to turn that down, a God who loves us that much. Imagine the liberators coming in, the Allied army coming into Auschwitz and saying, you're free. And the prisoners saying, no, that's okay. You know, we're kind of used to it. I've gotten used to sleeping in the dirt and not having food and feeling terrible and being worked to death, etc. I... That's just fine. I think I'll stay here. (laughs) I think that'd be a little foolish, wouldn't you? God's heart for you, no matter who you are, is love. A love that never changes. He sees all that you are. He sees all your struggles, all your failures, the mess you've made of your life. The pain 
that you struggle against, the anger and resentment you can't let go of. He sees all that in his heart toward you is not judgment. It is love. He longs for you to come and be restored to him. His love is a desperate, reckless love toward you that was willing to enter our world, enter the death camp of our world for you. That's how great his love is. And all he says you have to do is say yes to Jesus. So what did he do for us? Three actions that Paul describes. I want to highlight these. Number one, it says he made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ. When you say yes to Jesus, he makes you alive with Christ. That is, he brings you out of the death camp. He brings you out to a place where the Holy Spirit is now in you. And you now have that SIM card or whatever you need to connect. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He allows us to connect to God. So now we can have a relationship with him to connect to the Wi-Fi of relationship with God. The phone's been hooked up, if you know Jesus. And being spiritually alive means you now have constant access to him, the very God of the universe who loves you that much and now will be with you through this life and guarantees life with him in heaven forever. You are a new creation and you are alive. Second action that he did for us He raised us up. He made us alive, then he raised us up. What does this mean? Well, when you're low and he brings you up, it means he's now empowered you. Instead of being enslaved and forced to obey your enemies that are out to destroy you, the world, the devil, our own flesh. Now we're free to live a new life in Christ. We are outside the fence. And if they say, you need to do this, we can say, no, I don't. (laughs) I am free in Christ. And I can obey him. Now, sometimes we make a mistake and we hear our old captors telling us what to do and we follow that. But that's part of the process of learning to trust Jesus and walk with him. Now we're free to love God. We're free to get to know him and get to know his word and to love others because we have Jesus's resurrection life in us. The king is on his throne, but he's on his throne in us. And he's beginning to reign in us. I find too many of us as believers are saved, but we're just kind of waiting for Jesus to come back. And we forget that we have been raised up to this new life and his life is in us. And we now have authority over the forces of evil through Jesus Christ because we've been united with him. And he wants us to live for his kingdom now in the freedom of life with Jesus and his strength knowing the fullness of what he has given us in him. So he's raised us up. So now he can love others through us. And then third, he seated us in the heavenly places. What does that mean? Uh, You know, right now you're all seated in this auditorium. (laughs) What does it mean to be seated with Christ? Well, there's something that's happened in your soul that's, if you know Jesus, you've been seated with him. And being seated is this place of intimacy, right? When you're seated with someone around a table and you're having fellowship together, there's this place of intimacy. You are with Jesus. You are in relationship with him. But remember, Jesus is also seated at the right hand of the Father, the place of all authority, all power over all nations, over all peoples. 
And we are seated with him in a place of authority where we are called to reign in life with him. What a glorious picture. It's described again in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul writes, For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. He's not talking about the future in heaven, though we will reign there. He's talking about life now, that we are meant to reign in life. And so we have authority over Satan, for example, and over the forces of evil because they've been defeated by the cross. That's why James says, are you under attack, spiritual attack? How are we to deal with that? He simply says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see the authority we have in Christ? Again, it's not in us, it's in Christ. Notice how every one of these, we are made alive with Christ. We are raised up with Christ. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. It's in our union with him that we are given authority over the forces around us. And so Jesus wants you and me to live in the fullness of that, to begin to live in the authority that Christ has given us as we walk in relationship with him in this new life. And now he says, "Okay, you've been freed from the camp. Everybody has the opportunity to leave, but they don't know it yet. So it's time to not just bide your time on earth, but it's time to join the underground. It's time to do what you can to begin to set others free, to share with them the good news of how you got out and how God is changing lives again. Not that anybody who knows Jesus is better than anybody else. We've made a mess of our lives, but we simply have made the connection back to him. And he is transforming us. Have you trusted in Jesus's death and resurrection for you yet? Have you been set free? If not, I don't care who you are, what your background is, how much you feel like you've failed too greatly to ever be forgiven. Let me say to you that Jesus came because he loves you and wants to set you free. And let me plead with you that now is the time to walk out of that camp, to walk into a relationship with God where you begin to know him and trust him and walk with him for the rest of your life. Don't put it off. Now is the time to give your life to him. Now is the time. And let me encourage you, if God is speaking to your heart, you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, let today be the day. If you need somebody to talk to about that, come up after the service. We would love to talk with you. And I encourage any elders, staff to come up, other ministry leaders to see, just to be available for anybody who might want to talk about what it means to Give your life to Jesus to say yes to Jesus and be made new. For those of us who have already trusted Jesus' death for us, let's not wait for his return and just bide our time. Let's live fully for Christ now. We've been made alive. We've been raised up. We've been seated with him in the heavenly places. What's true of Jesus is true of you now. You've been united with him. So let's live in his power daily and celebrate his resurrection. He is risen and we have risen with him. 
we've found a way out of the death camp and it's our opportunity to live that out now in a way that others will be drawn to know Jesus as well. Yes, we have the hope that someday everything will be set right and evil will be finally and fully defeated. But in the meantime, we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ now and to help set people free for eternity. Someday Jesus will come back and that will be awesome because everything will be set right. We'll receive our new bodies. But in the meantime, Jesus is alive now. So let's live in his resurrection power. That is our sure and confident hope. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we've looked at what you have saved us from and what you have saved us to, new life with you, a connection with you that means we can begin to love in your power, to love you and to love others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and invaded our world, the death camp of this world where we were helpless and hopeless and could not save ourselves. You came and gave us new life, and for that we give you praise and thanks that you have risen from the dead and conquered death forever. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.